We're parents, teachers, and educators. And like you, we're passionate about restoring our culture for Christ. This is Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Hello again, and welcome to Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Today we have with us uh, someone well-known in many homeschool circles, Brett Harris. Welcome, Brett. Marla, it's, uh, it's an honor to be here, an uh, honor to be with your audience. Well, thank you. Uh, for those of you that don't know Brett, he and his brother have written some books, uh, writ- wrote them at a very young age to a very young audience and their parents. But before we get into uh, those things like the book, Do Hard Things and Raise Kids to Do Hard Things, I'd like to hear a little bit about you, Brett. Uh, tell us a little bit about your growing up, your family, educational background, and career, because that'll feed neatly into what we're going to talk about. Yeah, thank you. So I I grew up in a, a pioneering homeschool family. My my parents, Greg and Sono Harris, were early homeschoolers, uh, along with the Detweilers and so many others. And my dad was really a big part of making the apologetic for home education as a good option for families and Christian families. Wow, good for him. Educate grew up homeschooled from uh, you know K K through twelve. Uh, went on to to college at Patrick Henry College with my twin brother Alex. Uh, but before we did that, we we wrote we wrote a book called "Do Hard Things: A Teenage Rebellion Against Low Expectations," uh, challenging young people that God can use them as a teenager, that they can do so much more than society expects, that uh, historical standards for young people and what they can accomplish have dropped uh, precipitously, and uh, we need to go back to history and to Scripture to uh, see what God really expects of young people and what they're capable of. Well, you're uh, so that really that. launched we, us. We, it, well, while I'm you're sorry? mentioning that, yeah, well, while you're mentioning that, I just wanted to say, we have found it helpful to look at both historic standards and international standards as we compare what happens in the United States with what happens uh, in many other countries too. Uh, and, and so that's a really good thing. So you were homeschooled. Your parents were, uh, at some level, pioneering in homeschooling. Did you? I know you're in northern uh, New Mexico today. Is that where you grew up, or near where you grew up? No, I I grew up in uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, in the out in the country in Oregon, um, and my my family had, had nine acres out there, surrounded by hundreds of uh, four acres of forest owned by other people that we were free to explore. So I had a very idyllic uh, childhood. Uh, Homeschool, delight-directed study, which was my parents' uh, philosophy of, of education, and then a lot of time outdoors catching bullfrogs and <laughs> salamanders in the pond and, and all that stuff. That's great. I remember my wife one time uh, with sons doing similar things, uh, finding a snake in one of his pockets uh, at, when putting the pants in the laundry. It was, it was not a comfortable scene. Um, but anyway, well, let's talk about uh, do hard things. You and your brother wrote that. What year and what what problem were you trying to solve? Yeah, well, my my brother and I were both involved in high school speech and debate. Um, and one of the uh, speeches that Alex, my twin brother, uh, presented uh, when we were 16 years old was called The Myth of Adolescence. And it was really addressing this modern uh, concept of the teen years as a vacation from responsibility. 
And, <laughs> and so we I've never heard it put that way, but that that's very uh, picturesque. Yeah, well, it it it's. I mean, historically, it's a it's a real thing. Um, the you know the the first word, use of the word teenager, you know, in writing that can be found was you know Reader's Digest in 1932, and then you know you you have some of the first generations, uh, our grandparents and our parents growing up in a world where where teenagers was even a, a category. Before that, you, know, you were a child or you were a young adult, and then an adult. And so, you know, we were looking at that. We were looking at how that change and how the the consumer culture and entertainment culture that arose around teenagers. And a lot of this was tied to removing children from the workforce, which was there's a lot of good in that getting them out of the coal mines, you know, a lot of good in that. But then there was this kind of culturally imposed idleness that uh, that replaced the productivity that young people uh, historically were engaged in. And so we were we were identifying that problem. And again, all credit to our parents. They were drawing our attention to this, encouraging us to study these things for our own lives. But then we were starting to share it with others. Alex won the you know first place in the country with the, that short speech. Is that and right? That eventually became the, the inspiration for a, a blog that we started called The Revolution, um, a teenage rebellion against low expectations. And then um, we had publishers starting to contact us. We were doing some conferences and we had publishers who said, this looks like a book. Uh, will you write it? Uh, we ended up going with the imprint of Penguin Random House and that came out in 2008. Very good. As you wrote the book, what did you learn? And then as the book came out, how did the response affect what you had learned? I think the one of the biggest one of the biggest things we learned because we had we'd already written 800 articles on our blog uh, on the topic before writing the book. So we we did learn some things in terms of research and and our topic, but a lot of it was stuff we had already um already been studying beforehand for for several years. But uh I think one of the big things we learned is just how hard it is to write a good book. And uh, <laughs> We were really blessed to work with some of the best uh, editors in the in the Christian publishing industry. Helped us to really um, refine and hone uh, the manuscript. Uh, but I remember at one point actually having tears in my eyes and saying, "This is going to be the worst book that has ever been written." Uh, telling my family that, and I for me, I, some of the books I've seen, you'd have to be intentional to be to get that goal. <laughs> well, I think any writer out there knows knows that feeling in the middle of a, a project. You you have that feeling like this is the worst thing ever. And so we we you know by God's grace, uh, we finished it. It we we were blown away by the response. And I, I think the biggest thing again, and but this this was this was the surprise throughout the process, Marlon. We. When we started our blog, it was just, hey, we're going to write for our friends. Blogging was a new thing back in that those days, yeah, yeah. you know, and suddenly we're we're having hundreds and now thousands of people visiting. We, you know, within a few months, we were featured in the New York Daily News with a, a feature story about this blog and this message. And and so it just at every stage, we were blown away by how much young people want to be challenged you know, how much our peers were were hungry to be told, hey, you can be more, you can do more than what society expects. And, and so just the groundswell of, of response and enthusiasm, not just from parents and teachers that you'd expect, 
but from the young people themselves saying, I thought I was the only one who felt this way. I thought I was the only one who wanted wanted more, who wanted to, to be more responsible, to accomplish more, to have more uh, opportunities and responsibilities uh, as a teenager. So that was that was certainly the surprise. And, you know, the book has now sold nearly 700,000 copies. And awesome. I think that's uh, that is, again, just the surprise of how much young people want to rebel against low expectations if they're given permission to do so. Yeah. What um, this is uh, maybe hard to do off the top of your head, but what success stories have you heard from others outside your family for having read that book, taking initiatives and seeing good results? I mean, it's, wow, it's hard. It's hard to pick one. I mean, we, we have young people who are at the forefront of, you know, the legal industry, the nonprofit industry, you know, and politics and government, um, best-selling authors now who, who all were read and were inspired by, by the book. I don't want to make it sound like that's the most important outcome, though, because the message right. of do hard things, as much as it is about, hey, young people can do big things, you know, the kind right. of things that would be in the news. Uh, it's also about the the small, quiet, hard things that no one sees. It's about character. It's about doing what's right, even when it's hard, which is often much harder when no one's watching or when you're going to be criticized for it. Yeah. And so I'd say that the biggest impact uh, and the, the stories that we love the most is when we're contacted by someone who says, I read your book when I was a teenager, it changed my life. I started, you know, challenging myself and taking more responsibility. You know, now I'm, you know, what in my thirties or, or maybe in my forties, um, I've gone through some hard things. You know, there's been challenges in my life. Um, I had, I was tempted to run away from them, but I, because of what I learned and because of the strength I developed as a young person through, through your message, you know, I, I was faithful you know, I didn't run away from from doing the right thing, even though it was hard, even though it was scary. And again, these aren't things that are going to be put in a newspaper, though they should. Um, but those are the stories that that matter the most. And I me. appreciate you saying that and turning my question into uh, a question that related to character and is and is very broad. I, I also understand the impact of leadership. Uh, you know, one person. Uh, properly and effectively leading uh, makes a very significant difference. And I suspect that it, that it would be, I know it would be true to say that that is what you and your brother did. Um, and uh, uh, I'm happy to hear that there are all kinds of careers and uh, paths that people have taken as a result of that impact too. Uh, but I couldn't agree more that what it, what it is ultimately and best about is we, we like to call it character development, but that sounds so, uh, to me, that sounds so removed from the truth of, yeah. of what we know uh, uh, in who God is and how he providentially superintends his creation and, and our connection to it as, well, vice regents of his uh, creation and and, and the way that we manage that. Uh, maybe you have some stories that would help understand that uh, that impact too, because stories really help us uh, appreciate the impact of written words. Are there any others that are worth uh, commenting on or even some specifics uh, there? Yeah, I mean, honestly, because 
a lot of times when I receive, receive these stories, it's it's private, you know, privately. I understand um, that. I, I think I think the asking carefully. I, I think probably the best illustration of the different ways in which the message can can impact a life would be to contrast uh, Alex and my path since since we published the book. If and I think that's a story that I'm could tell with the most detail. Um, and so, you know, Alex, uh, since we you know published the book at 19 years old, um, you know, we both went off to college, and he went on to Harvard Law School, uh, where he you know graduated at the top of his class, made Harvard Law Review. He uh, he was he clerked for Neil Gorsuch uh, in wow. Colorado before he was on the Supreme Court. Then went to the Supreme Court and clerked for uh, Justice Kennedy. Uh, really, just did the best you can do in law school. And immediately out of law school, and now you know now is working for a, a prestigious law firm in in Denver, um, having a big impact through his work, but also a lot of pro bono work that he does for really important causes. And he went through um, Harvard Law School as a young married, you know, young married man with a daughter, um, married young, had a had a child with his wife Courtney, and he went through law school and had all that success while finishing all of his schoolwork by five o'clock and being home for dinner with his family, spending time with his, his wife and, and daughter. Uh, when most students at Harvard are burning the candle at both ends, you know, not having time for those important things. And so, you know, I think his path is an example of, okay, when you exercise yourself as a young person, when you, you push yourself as a young person, you're able to continue. You know, it's not that Alex is just smarter or has a higher IQ than all the other Harvard Law students. I mean, these are the the, the top of the, the heap in terms of academic uh, excellence. But he had a five to 10 year head start in life in terms of how he was pushing himself and challenging himself uh, in a healthy way uh, as a young person. So, you know, my, my story then is the contrast. Um, I, I married my best friend, Anna, uh, right out right out of college. And within a few months, she became very sick and was uh, practically bedbound within a few months of our wedding. Wow. We didn't know what was going on. We ended up um, moving back across the country to live with her family. Her mom was a former nurse. We also needed to go to more. Um, she was still on her parents' insurance, so trying to go to doctors who were in network for us and went to specialists and doctors all over the country no one could figure out what was wrong. Eventually got, you know, some diagnoses, treatments, very expensive treatments that didn't end up helping. She ended up being bedbound for five years. We wow. thought she we were going to lose her. And uh, in my life, I took on the role of of caregiver and was a, a full-time caregiver for my my wife for for these five years. And all of the, you know, the big hard things, like I mentioned earlier, the writing of books and the traveling and speaking and, and doing all this, that that had to be set to the side uh, as I embraced, you know, a very quiet uh, faithfulness yeah. in my primary obligation before the Lord to my to my wife. And, you know, praise the Lord over the last six plus years, there has been a, a turnaround in her health. We were able to uh, discover some of the things that were driving her her chronic illness. She was able to make a lot of recovery. She's now a, a professional ballerina and teaching ballet and still continuing to heal. Um, but, you know, we're talking about a 10 year period where I didn't take a single speaking engagement, didn't, you know, didn't 
write a single book, uh, at least didn't publish one. I did, I did work on one with my dad, but that was a path where in contrast to the, you know, Harvard law school clerking at the Supreme court route, which is also a beautiful example of what doing hard things as a teenager can prepare you for. Um, my preparation was in the quiet faithfulness of doing the right thing, even though it was quiet, no one knew, and um, and it was very, very hard. And trusting the Lord in that, like Joseph, uh, you know, going off to Egypt and and questioning the Lord, like, hey, you know, what about these dreams I had as a young man? Um, so, so I think a, I think those two stories spectrum for us to appreciate yeah. is a really good example. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah. So, so uh, we we I like to say if you write a book called Do Hard Things, you you better expect that God's going to ask you to do some hard things. <laughs> um, yeah, I I I resemble that remark. <laughs> um, tell me about the book that you wrote with your dad that has been released when did it release so uh the the actually it has not been released and so i'm sorry okay yeah Uh, i'd appreciate tell us about it yeah i would appreciate everyone's uh uh, prayers because there are some decisions that need to be made about about this book but it was called raising kids to do hard things and it's a book that really captures my parents uh principles for parenting and, and educating their kids and it was a real honor to get to step in um, after my mom passed away from cancer. Um, she and my dad were writing that together, and I was able to step in as uh, as a son and say, I, you know, I want to help pull this over the finish line. And we we did uh, we did finish the book. Um, it that was delayed by Anna getting sick, and then it was further delayed um, when you know some things happened in our family, and we we wanted to be sensitive to to not putting out a book about parenting when uh, we had some some things going on with with some members of our family. Um, we wanted to be humble. And, and so we talked to our publisher about putting putting things off and and taking time. And then and then COVID hit and and th- everything got turned upside down. So that that <laughs> book, I it's either God doesn't want it to come out or Satan doesn't want it to come out, but it has been through uh, everything. Uh, we did have the honor of taking about a thousand families through the content of the book uh, through a an online course uh, by the same name, and the the impact was tremendous. Uh, it was one of the most wonderful things I've ever done working with my dad um, and encouraging parents and uh, as they raise their kids to be self motivated was really the the core focus of the book. How do you how do you get your kids to be self-motivated, not just dependent on you pushing them. And so that book has not been out. Uh, it is not released, but uh, I don't know what the story holds, uh, what the end of the story is for it. Good. Well, I, I'm sorry I didn't know that, but that I'm glad you were able to put that out there for our audience. Um, where do you, and we'll, we'll move into in just a few minutes, the Young Writers Workshop and the things you're doing there. So before we talk about that, where do you see the the role for you and uh, maybe for Alex in uh, the idea of do hard things at this point? Honestly, I think the the biggest thing we can do is to continue to live 
um, faithfully uh, the message of the book and to finish well. I like to say faithfulness is a lifetime achievement award. You don't you don't earn it at thirty or forty or fifty. Um, you end it you earn it when you hear "Well done, my good and faithful servant." And you know, faithfulness is not perfection, so it's, it's not some unrealistic standard of you know you. But it's it's perseverance. It's it's getting knocked down, getting back up, moving in the same direction, not being deterred when it's hard, um, when it's yeah. lonely, et cetera. Yeah, um, I and, found and not, when it's hard and lonely. The answer is, what's the next step? Take it. Yeah, yeah, and then and then not getting um, derailed when it's going well and it's yeah. successful, and you're getting honored and praised and and becoming proud and becoming careless. So you know, faithfulness is is the the best thing I think we can do to have have put a message like that into the world, encouraged people, and then to to live it ourselves uh, to the end. I think is the biggest thing we can do. And of course, we're still proponents for the message. I still love to talk about that message. But um, at this point, I'm just living it is my main thing. That's that's wonderful. Uh, and it's very encouraging to hear. I did not know that your wife had uh, uh, been recovering uh, for that much time and in that way. That's wonderful. So you have taken an initiative um, called the Young Writers Workshop. Tell us what that is. Yeah, well, when you write a book as a teenager that sells hundreds of thousands of copies, uh, one of the things that surprised us in the response, in addition to just the volume of how many people bought and loved the book, was the number of young people who contacted us saying, "I love writing. I want to be an author. You know, can you can you help me with that?" And so uh, over the years, I ended up helping a number of young authors uh, get publishing deals. Uh, you know. Sell sell a lot of books and and just on the side it was like it was just a side thing that I I did uh, to help other young people who had that passion and that calling. And then when Anna got sick, and we saw you know I had a I had a good bit of savings from the sales of Do Hard Things, and we were just burning that money like uh, <laughs> like uh, to to stay warm basically. We were burning that money on medical bills and and yeah. all of this. And so I realized I need I need to provide for uh, our needs, but I can't go and get a normal job because I'm a full-time caregiver. And so I'd either have to hand caregiving off to someone else, which I didn't feel comfortable doing and I didn't feel it would be best, or I'd have to uh, find a different way to provide. And so that's when I started really going to the Lord and thinking about, well, what, what can I do and what would work with my situation? And that's where you know entrepreneurship and starting uh, my own business became the the best option. And I'm very passionate about that topic. Uh, we train our students in entrepreneurship in our writing programs because having those skills allows you to um, do well for yourself by doing good for others. It gives you more options to handle the, the ups and downs and uncertainties of life and changing uh, economic conditions, cultural conditions. And so um, I was able to start a business and Started with some online programs around do hard things, but very soon I realized, well, you know what people are always asking me about is, is writing. Young people want help with writing, and so uh, I mentored a young lady named Jaquel Crow. She published her first book with her dream publisher Crossway, and it's called "This Changes Everything: How the Gospel Transforms the Teen Years." And uh, that book sold ten thousand copies in its first four days. You know, won won awards from Christianity Today and the Gospel Coalition, and she also had a groundswell of young people saying, how did you do it? I want to be an author. 
And so we decided to, to together start the Young Writers Workshop, a, a community and teaching library for young, you know, young, primarily Christian homeschool students. Uh, though, you know, we have we have non-homeschoolers as well, but a lot of homeschool students who want to have community, want mentorship, want guidance and and accountability to get words on the page, to write short stories and novels, blog posts, articles, all the all the kind of real world writing, the non-academic writing um, that 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 they, that they can, you know. And so we started that, had 400 students join the first time we opened the doors, blew us away. Um, and and eventually that grew into we now have over a thousand students in the workshop at any given time, um, partnering with people like SD Smith with the Green Ember series and um uh, Sarah McKenzie with Read Aloud Revival and uh, the great folks at um, IEW and so, so many different organizations that have, have partnered with us. And then we eventually had so many students who said who had accomplished so much, winning, winning awards, finishing novels, and wanted to pursue this as a career uh, that we started a college alternative program called the Author Conservatory. And that mm-hmm. is our kind of apprenticeship career-focused program kind of post-high school. So that's that's the main thing I'm doing today, uh, helping young people do hard things in the realm of writing and publishing and making that a sustainable career financially. Yeah, that's wonderful. One of the things that I have been challenged to consider over the years, and I'm curious what answer you might have for this, is as I look at the writings of 20th century writers like C.S. Lewis, um, of course, I, I would put Sproul in this category, and, and so he, he actually wrote a fiction book that was remarkable, and I really encouraged him to tell him how much I liked it. Uh, he wanted me to tell his publisher that. I don't remember if I did or not, but he didn't. It, did, it wasn't as successful as he'd hoped, and the publisher didn't go that way, so he stayed in his um, uh, knitting of uh, writing on theology. <clears throat> but when I see C.S. Lewis and Sayers and some of these authors. I see them turning phrases and having an efficiency of words and communicating in ways that are so captivating and uh, inspire visualization that that they really are the best of what writing has to offer. And of course, we're very involved in offering a great books curriculum, what we call the omnibus. What is it that makes someone, what are the best ways to prepare someone to be able to write with that kind of imagination and effectiveness. Mm. Well, I do think a, a strong foundation in composition, like what you know you guys provide, uh, is 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 critical. But if I had to pick one thing and one thing alone, I would say it's reading aloud as a family, and if not reading aloud as a family, listening to audiobooks. This is this is something Sarah McKenzie with Read Aloud Revival is is always preaching. And before I heard her say it, we'd observed it over and over with our students. Without fail, the students who were the most, you know, had the best writing, you know, skill, the most beautiful prose, were the students who read aloud as a family, not just as a kid, but all the way through high school, because there's something about that beautiful language coming in through the ear where you are hearing the language, you're not skipping the hard words, you're not, you know, skimming anything, you're hearing everything, and you're hearing it pronounced properly, and you're hearing the flow and the pacing that really 
trains a, a young person's brain to be able to create their own beautiful language. So our family read aloud nonstop uh, all the way through. And that has been probably the number one common ingredient that I've found from our best young writers. I am so glad I asked you that question because that resonates and it provides a very practical tool for accomplishing something that seems so abstract and hard to get a hold of. Um, that is that is really helpful. Thank you. Uh, we have had folks, uh, Brett Harris from 7,500 feet above sea level in northern New Mexico, uh, meeting with me at uh, the highest spot in Florida, which is 300, I'm actually not at this spot, it's right over there, at 324 feet, I'm probably at about 280 feet uh, in very different places uh, with the same things in mind. Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Marlon, th thank you for all that you have done for homeschool families. Uh, thank you for your example, and thank you for having me on today. Great to have you. Folks, thank you for joining us on Veritas Vox, another episode, uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. 